1: we're definitely going to have fun because I am here with my friend, Kat, who I'm going to introduce here in a few minutes. Um, Kat is my friend who has the Enneagram plus yoga podcast with Christy Bonner. And they've been on my podcast a couple times. I've been on theirs a couple of times. And Kat is also a certified Enneagram teacher and an amazing popular yoga teacher here in town and a mother and a wife. And um, we had coffee recently after one of her yoga classes. And I had referred a, a few of my clients to her for individual Enneagram coaching. And I referred a couple recently, a married couple, and they were having some classic issues around their personality differences and trouble kind of resolving those. And so I sent them to Kat and they loved it. She was very helpful. She met with each of them individually once, and then she met with them together as a couple. And I still don't even know like, if, if I think they're going to continue, but um, they just found it incredibly helpful. So we'll talk a little bit about what she does with couples like this. And um, we're also going to throw in a little fun conversation about alcohol and drinking. <laughs> Cat <laughs> is hilarious, and um, we she was talking about dry January when I saw her for coffee a few weeks ago, and so um, that might just be a fun little conversation starter, but <clears throat> before I get into that, I just want to say that the Enneagram is one of many tools that can help couples who are drawn to someone who they feel complements them, who is different than them who has traits that they wish they had. Um, I know that I probably did this when I got married. I know my husband probably did that. Um, And Kat and I are gonna talk about some personal and professional examples. But where you think, oh, this person is gonna kind of, you know, meet um, traits that I wish I had or complete my team or compliment me as a person and bring a wider variety of traits into our future family or relationship. And then those very things that drew you, uh, the opposites attract idea, can become some of the biggest problems if you can't work through them. So um, Kat and I are gonna talk about how differences can be the spice of life or a destroyer in relationships and how to avoid making them a destroyer and waiting until it's too late and you're too far apart. So that's my little introduction. Um, So hello Kat. Hello Beth. Thank you for being here. You're just always so fun and so wise. And I can't wait to hear what you have to say. And I know you're also open like I am about your own, how marriage is just hard. Oh,
0: yes. Open book. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. Um,
1: So... Do you want to tell us just as a fun little starter about your Dry January experience? Yes,
0: I love it. You were so kind and PC when you said we were talking about Dry January. If we're being quite honest, I was making fun of Dry January. (laughs) Yeah. So I come, uh, so I'm born and raised, I was born and raised in Russia. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you could kind of say that um, I have grown up with a European approach to drinking Mm -hmm. as a whole in general. So it's never been a taboo, um, you know, Beer, wine with dinner, no big deal. It's yeah. never been, you know, we don't have a drinking age in Asian Russia, not that I've noticed. Wow, mouth, it's so not even 16. Not there. even 16. I don't think so. Wow. So it, it, it's always just been sort of a part of lifestyle. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, unfortunately, Rashi is also known uh, for alcoholism problems. <laughs> so that has always been um, a little bit of deterrent for me, but um, that's why it's uh, alcohol has always been moderation, but just a welcome thing. Mm-hmm. And I just turned 46. Uh-huh. And I think my uh, premenopause is a raging. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, among all the gifts of this transitional period in my life have been uh, headaches and migraines. Mm. And um, I started to notice that when I would have even a glass of wine or just a cocktail, I would be tired, I would be sleepy, I would be uh, ravenous hungry and then I would have just killer headaches. Mm. Uh, but then kind of like, well, that's a part of the gig. You know, you, you know. There's you, a price tag there' There's a price tag for fun. And I remember going to my uh, holistic MD and she uh, sort of just was very kind and sweet and said, "Cat, you probably should do like two cups of greens every day, half a cup of soy milk and maybe cut down the drinking. <laughs> so, and then we had had a follow up meeting with her and I told her I said, Suze you know everything is doable except for the drinking part. Like mm-hmm. I'm just, str- I don't know if I can do it yeah. because that 5 o'clock, half a glass of wine has just just always hit the spot. Right. Well." Uh, January 1st, we're celebrating New Year's, uh, my family and I. And of course, we have champagne. Of course, no one drinks it except for me. Mm. And I remember going to sleep that night with a hangover. Like the hangover was there before I even woke up, like in the moment. And I was thinking, I think this is going to kill me. Wow. Like they would put on my gravestone, "Cat Smith, mother, wife, died of champagne <laughs> hangover." So woke we'll up that uh, following morning. I was like, "You know what? This is it. I'm just going to just just cut it." Wow. And I did. Amazing. And. To be quite transparent, I've always made fun of people who did dry January. Yeah. I just thought it was the silliest thing.
1: You're like, you're an idiot.
0: Well, I was like, I, I don't know why you would. Yeah. I just don't even understand. Uh-huh. And then um, I've never bought in into this whole cocktail, like non-alcoholic cocktail mm-hmm. culture. Mm-hmm. All these tinctures and all this, you know, whatever. Yeah. And then I gave it a try. So I started drinking fizzy water, Lacroix, yeah. out of champagne glasses. Uh, with fun little ice cubes that I would make with like frozen berries and fruit. Mm-hmm. And I just noticed I started feeling great. I got woke, Beth. You got woke? <laughs> I got woke literally and figuratively. So I'm more awake, I'm more energized. I don't want to fall out uh going to sleep at 8 p.m. anymore. Yeah. My headaches are better. I'm not as hungry. I feel a little tremor. It just all the things. And so, your sleep quality is better. Oh my gosh. Amazing, So I'm just kind of having this, this train rolling. I mean, I think everybody who has known me closely, it, just a shocker. Yeah. But then everybody's like, okay, well, you know, I, I have noticed that I'm just as loud when I'm not drinking. Mm-hmm. I cuss just as much <laughs> when I'm not drinking. So that didn't take away my personality. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I have had occasional beer since then, you know, like if February was my birthday, mm-hmm. but I just don't crave it anymore. That's amazing. My friend Laura and I had um, a dinner this week and we were talking about this exact thing. And she said something and I related to it so well. She said, "Cat, I haven't drank since last summer. I said, oh my gosh. Okay, sister. Wow. You know, my fizzy water sister. And she said, here's what happened. She said, a uh, couple friends of mine and, and me and um my partner, we went floating down the river, whatever river it was. And oh. you know, when you float in the summer, you have cocktails, yeah. beverages, drinks. She said, as I was drinking it, she said I started experiencing the hangover. Wow. She said it was like a slap to the face. It's not even shortly thereafter, it's not just it's immediate, in the wow. process. And she said, I thought, Laura, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, this is miserable. Uh-huh. And I said, amen, sister. So I get it.
1: I love that. Well, and you know, I, I think I told you a few weeks ago that one of my latest podcasts was called 12 Reasons We Should Minimize Our Drinking. Yeah. And and I was honest about, like, I enjoy drinking too. Yeah. And sometimes I drink too much yeah. and drink too frequently yeah. and things like that. but. I just am a big fan of people understanding what it's doing to their body right? and what the risks are. And so that's why I just, I think a lot of us blindly drink. I mean, I was kind of blindly not thinking about it. Right. I mean, of course you notice the headaches or the sleep disruption. That's huge. right? Uh, and the dehydration. Right. But when you look at it being a neurotoxin and all that, it's very motivating. So, if anyone wants to check out that podcast and you haven't, it's called 12 Ways to Minimize or 12 Reasons We Should Minimize Our Drinking. And it was just a few weeks ago. Um, well, thank you for sharing that because oh, it was hilarious. You and are welcome. Nice to hear like the <laughs> testimonials of what happens when people do like the health benefits. So, yeah. um, okay. So, I know we could probably talk about this for hours. Um, Maybe I'll just throw out a couple of quick couple examples or examples of couples or or even just family members that relate to the Enneagram and personality differences. And you could comment on those. Or um, also, I would love for you to talk about what you did with that couple Sure. And because it helped them so much. Um, So some of the examples that I thought about are when someone is dating and they say, oh, I'm a very serious, driven, maybe perfectionist or achiever. um, And I've met someone who's so fun and they help me laugh. And, you know, they bring the fun out in me and I need that. So I'm going to date this person and then we'll be this great mix. And, you know, the other person might say, yeah, I'm a lot of fun in the life of the party, but I need to get a little more grounded or a little more organized. And this person is going to bring out the best in me. Yeah. And then you fast forward two years, five years, 10 years, and maybe they have kids, maybe they don't, but they find that they're in these opposite roles of good cop, bad cop, Mm -hmm. or, you know, the, let's just say if the woman is the perfectionist, she feels like her husband is like another child and he's like the 19-year-old brother, and they're the 40-year-old parent. Yeah. And um, you know, and those very traits that, oh, he used to make me laugh, and now all he does is joke around. Yeah. And he's like, you're like a mother, you're no fun. Yeah. I feel like I'm being parented. And if they can't kind of talk about it or come to the middle a little bit, um, and this relates to what the doctors, John and Julie Gottman, talk about is perpetual issues unsolvable problems some of those personality differences are not going to change right um one other example um that um, i've seen and some of this i've experienced is when a real people pleaser or extrovert or people person um, meets someone who is sort of more honest and they feel brave and brutally honest or blunt they're kind of like oh this is so admirable that they can just speak their mind and they don't care what people think and and maybe they're introverted and maybe that'll help me. And then you end up going, man, this person's an ass or, you know, or the other person says, gosh, what a suck up people pleaser. Yes. Person, you know? Yeah. And you grow apart, you know? So, and, and unfortunately sometimes I, you know, and I know so many people that's marriages are on the rocks. They're just riding on the edge. And, um, you know, sometimes people come in for therapy when they're kind of done or after they filed for divorce and, You think, I wonder if they had learned to dialogue about their differences, um, that they could have, you know, found a way to be happier and understand each other and change their narrative. And that's where you come in. So
0: tell tell me. me, Thank you.
1: Yes. So tell me some like, well, and it's a less, I think Enneagram coaching can be a little less threatening for people than marriage counseling. Mm -hmm. And I know it's different, but there are some amazing benefits that I think if you could just go dialogue about what's unique Yeah. And your strengths and weaknesses in a very accepting place.
0: Sure. You can understand your loved ones differently. Of course. Of course. Well, let me start by saying that the Enneagram is a personality typing system. Mm -hmm. It has roots that go back hundreds of years ago. Mm -hmm. It has a baseline in Christianity, but it doesn't have to be affiliated to it. Okay. And it believes that we all fall into one out of nine Enneagram personality types, and um, none is better than the other. And Mm -hmm. each and every one has specifically some stronger parts and some not stronger parts. But at the end of the day, it is a pathway for us to grow and be our authentic self. So I believe the gift of the Enneagram in general, and specifically in relationship to. couples or any kind of relationship, frankly, whether it's professional, personal, platonic, uh, romantic, what have you, is you understand yourself to start with, Mm -hmm. which creates ability for you to have kindness and compassion for yourself. Mm. And that has a domino effect, how it translates outwardly. Mm -hmm. So then you're able to understand the motivations, the fears, the behaviors of People that you're in a relationship with, and then ha- have kindness, compassion for that because guess what? They're different from you. Yeah, and they see things different, and they are motivated by different things, mm-hmm. and they're fearful of uh, different things, and that's okay. And not only does it make it okay, it creates less friction, mm-hmm. more acceptance, more self-compassion, more outwardly compassion, and then the relationship just stronger. That I think it gives relationship. Ability to stay sustainable, authentically, truly, quality, sustainability.
1: Ooh, thank you for describing that Mm -hmm. because I sometimes just assume people know what the Enneagram is, but a lot of people don't. And so maybe a question that I've heard about the Enneagram, I'll pose to you Mm -hmm. and ask how you would answer this if someone says, I don't want to take that test because I don't want to be pigeonholed or typecast sure. into this one number. Sure, what would you sure. say to that?
0: I would say I completely understand, and um, I, I I see how somebody would think that way mm-hmm. because there it's it's not the. Only typing system out there so mm-hmm. for example Myers-Briggs is mm-hmm. very similar and you're sort of given a number sequence of letters and then there's a description and here you go mm-hmm. so it's easy to think okay well this is what I am this is just how I am the difference with Enneagram it actually gives you a pathway of how you can change and grow mm-hmm. it also gives you an opportunity to understand how you behave in sort of a neutral setting mm-hmm. under stress and in health. So when things mm-hmm. are going great, so that's a really beautiful way to mm-hmm. kind of have a multifaceted approach. And and frankly, it just shows you how you can grow, how you can be your best self, how you can be the most authentic self, uh-huh. not different but best and authentic. So it's not a box that you're just locked in. It's sort of a pathway to grow. But in order to grow, you have to understand what makes you tick. Mm-hmm. Why do you you do things you do? Why do you react a certain way? Why do you see see things uh, a certain way? Why do you resolve conflict a certain way? Mm -hmm. Without that, you can't grow. Oh yeah. So I love Enneagram. I truly do. That's so good. Mm -hmm. I love
1: it so much too. And I'm not, I don't know if the word would be a purist or, you know, I might drive certain people that are very, very passionate about the Enneagram philosophy, you know, In a black and white way, maybe um, crazy because I like one of my clients take it. I like to find out what their top three scores were and what their bottom three scores are. Yes. And so I don't say, oh, you're an eight. I'm like, you know, you're high on the eight and the six and the four or whatever. Sure. Um, So I just think it's a great. Um, It can be very validating for people, too, to say, wow, this summary of strengths and weaknesses fits me perfectly. Makes sense.
0: Makes sense. It it helps you sort of have a validation that no, nothing is wrong with you. You are not broken. You are not whatever and then also not to make you feel like you're alone mm-hmm. like no one gets me well actually yes there's people who get you and yeah. understand and Enneagram believes that we all have all nine numbers in it so to your uh-huh. point and I love that you brought it up okay. and just because you're one number which Enneagram believes you are that number at your core uh-huh. you can be very strong and dominant in other numbers uh-huh. and, and, and we all have that Mm -hmm. and then you can be sort of depleted or uh sort of um closed off to Mm -hmm. other numbers Mm -hmm. and that is something that you could consider into cultivating and building or at least paying attention to yeah you know especially if that is the number where you're the lowest at that your partner is the highest in, yes. then there's really some work to kind of shorten that gap and bring more understanding. Mm-hmm. Because for example, if I'm a one and my husband is a seven mm-hmm. and I'm the lowest in a seven, well, there's probably some work I need to do to get to understanding.
1: That's right. Oh, I totally agree with yeah. that. Um, I can't remember the wording you said, but like shortening the gap or something. Yes. Mm-hmm. I agree with that because I think we need to be ourselves, but we also need to find our growth edges. Right. Like if I'm the complete opposite of a perfectionist or I'm the complete opposite of an achiever yeah. or or I'm such an extreme helper, like there's gotta be some, some of the opposite that yeah. would make you potentially more of a grounded, balanced, yes. whole person and help your marriage instead yes. of, we're just getting more and more extreme and more at different ends of the spectrum, which is what I see causing a lot of marriage problems is you just get more extreme in your role or your part. And then you just say, man, we're just living separate lives and we resent each other all the
0: time. Yeah. You know, I feel, I love when you refer your clients to me. And when I sit down with them, I said, okay, so uh, this is not therapy. Mm -hmm. Number one, because I'm not a therapist. That's number (laughs) one. That's a good start. (laughs) Right. And number two, um, I probably am going to do most of the talking, Mm -hmm. and then we will have a conversation if something doesn't make sense or not. Mm -hmm. But you have got to be able to not only recognize the difference, but come back to what has brought you together in Mm. the very beginning. Because in my experience, you are absolutely right. More often than not, opposites do attract because it is different it is shiny it is exciting it is just just you want to be around that Mm -hmm. and then so slowly those differences that were so attractive to you start rubbing you the wrong way and become irritation aggravation agitation Mm -hmm. and then in my experience you sort of notice that and be like you know what? I'm going to try to change him. <laughs> I know that I can make him more like me. Yeah. And then the work begins. And of course, we we'll all know that never works. Yeah. So then you find yourself in a place. Okay. Well, we just can't get along. This is, we're just too different. Mm-hmm. This is just, and this is how I am. And this is how you are. And then we start growing apart mm-hmm. instead of just recognizing, well, What has brought us together? And maybe it's not irritating if I just look at it from a different perspective. That's right. And Enneagram, call it a different lens. Yeah. So we have the microphone right here we're taping. And from where I sit, I see it from one direction. Where you sit opposite of me, you see a different side of it. It's the same microphone, Mm -hmm. but we do see it differently. So if I were to maybe... Sit next to you and see what you see. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be as aggravated or as perplexed. Like, why can't you see my side? Yes. Because you literally can, because you're sitting there. So either you come to my my side or I come to yours. When I work with couples, I kept telling them, you guys live on, say, planet of type one and planet of type seven. Mm-hmm. You have got to start visiting each other's planets and kind of like chill out there. Yeah. And enjoy the enjoy the time that you're spending in each other's worlds. Mm-hmm. And that's gonna bring you closer together than just keep you all separated. All For sure. Well, and I think that and I'd love to hear what you
1: have noticed about this, but probably of people think that their strengths or their personality is the better one. It's like the egocentric. But that's another thing I love about the Enneagram is just, like you said earlier, there aren't better and worse types. It's just there's a package deal of strengths and weaknesses under every type. And so if our partner felt like we actually celebrated the good sides of them, and a lot of us tend to just harp on the negatives, and then people feel misunderstood they shut down. They don't feel validated, and kind of like Doctor the Gottman's um, yeah. principle of five positives to one negative. Yeah, um, they, you know, you might typecast your partner into oh, you know, she's just like a teenage older sister. He's just like a teenage older brother. He's a child, yeah. and it's like, well. That's one way to to look at it, but you also need to remember maybe they're actually seeing the big picture. They're not sweating the small stuff as much as I do and the details, and they're more relational and they're savoring the moment and they're spending more quality time with the kids instead of cleaning all the cobwebs out of the corners, you know. Yeah. Um, But you know, some of those you know perfectionistic driven types will be working their their heads off every day, running themselves ragged, they're in a bad mood, and then their partner's like, you're no fun anymore. Or, you know, where did your sex drive go? Yeah. And it's
0: like I am freaking tired because I'm overfunctioning. Because I have to do everything and I'm responsible for everything. Right. And I'm the only one where the buck stops and it's just me. So that's why I am tired and don't want to do anything. That's right. Yeah. And the task orientation
1: is very admirable in the hard work component. But then if they're not their best self, yeah. and it and it really breaks my heart. And I have several clients that come to mind, male and female, that end up being so fried, so exhausted, so irritable. Yeah. They're not fun anymore yeah. because they are so exhausted. Yeah. And then the person's like, I just don't feel a lot of romantic love for you anymore. Yeah. And I'm like, this person has run themselves ragged. Yeah. And and now you're saying you're not enjoying them anymore yeah. and because they've been working too hard. Yeah. you know." Yeah. So that's a perfect example of where maybe a perfectionist or an over-functioning achiever or something if they could be learn to relax sit on the couch i have a few clients that i'm like literally sit on the couch with your kids and watch a movie yeah um, and and just have more fun, yeah. you know. And then maybe you will actually not resent your spouse, and they will step up to the
0: plate because you step away from the plate. Well, and I can even take it further because that is a perfect application to my marriage and my husband. And I've been together for twenty three years, mm-hmm. and we're celebrating now our twentieth year anniversary, God willing, this July. <laughs> if you make it, former, <laughs> God willing, <laughs> uh, but. Uh, So I'm type one who is perfectionist, and he's type seven who is an enthusiast. Mm -hmm. And I tend to be overly responsible. I tend to take everything upon myself because I'm the only one who can do it right. Yeah, right. In my own right head. Yeah, yeah. And then on top of that, I would never delegate. Uh And then I would imagine that my spouse would see all the things that need to be done exactly how I would see them. (laughs) And that he would care as much about all of that getting done the right way as much as I do. No, he doesn't. Mm -hmm. So to take it even further, instead of me, first of all, expecting for him to be like me and see what I see and care, mind read, what about I just ask him and say, babe? So, you know, because if you tell somebody like me, well, you sit on the couch and you enjoy it, I'll tell you, well, you know what? That would be nice if I didn't have 110 things that I need to get done. Well, how about this radical thought? How about I delegate about 50 of those? And lower your standards and of how they're the, done. <laughs> yes. And then I actually have the space and capacity and time to genuinely sit down on the couch with my kids and enjoy watching that movie. Exactly. Without being resentful, without feeling guilty, without being stressed, without inability to relax and really be in the moment. And guess what? When I ask my seven husband to do things, absolutely, he says, no problem, he gets them done. Yes. But I gotta ask. Yeah. Instead of being the person saying, well, I do it all. I'm responsible for it all. And it is so heavy and no wonder I'm no fun. Yes. Well, we assume
1: others are like us. And this is such yes. a funny thing with the Enneagram yeah. is, um, you know, if we, when we start to realize what am I super passionate about? Yeah. And as you know, I'm high on the two, the helper, I'm yeah. high on the enthusiast. I'm also high on the peacemaker. Yeah. I'm also kind of high on the loyalist, the six, but um, because I'm a helper, I assume that other people think that way mm-hmm. and that they're going to read my mind. And, yeah. and, you know, I think I've joked when I was on your podcast about, You know, if I see like two men in a truck moving things and they look like they're straining and they're like 20 year old, like strong guys. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, here I come, a 50 year old woman or whatever Mm -hmm. going, can I help you? Mm -hmm. You look like you're straining. I'm like, that is so stupid. Like, what is wrong with me? It is not stupid. Mm -hmm. It is just you. It is not stupid. It is. But I think that my kids and my husband are going to be like that. And then I'm inwardly like, I resent the heck out of them. They don't love me. Mm -hmm. They're so selfish. Mm -hmm. Like they're lazy. Like what is wrong with them? And I had a counselor about five or six years ago say, Beth, I think that you're assuming that your husband is going to read your mind or guess what you need when you don't ask. But she said, it sounds like when you ask him, he will do it. But kind of like you said, yeah. I'm, and I think women are pretty bad at assuming men mind read or yes. should mind read because yes. we are more likely
0: to try to mind read. I agree. And specifically due to one of the superpowers of type two is not only being able to offer the best help mm-hmm. twos know what the other person needs before that person knows it Mm. that is it it, like two just knows what the person needs help with and then and then they offer it up that is a superpower that only two possesses and we think everyone has of course and all the types i think think of course they do of course they do and that is the that is the spice of it and then once you recognize first of all this is me this is how i am this is my core uh-huh and then my spouse who loves me and whom I love is not me, and they do not have that sixth sense that I possess. So I have to verbally tell them, because that's the only way they would know. Or I can sit here and feel sorry and be mad because they're not like me, because they cannot read and they don't know what I need help with. That's right, and that's where I think everyone listening, I hope, will think about the
1: narratives they tell themselves about their partner, Mm And, you know, so the narrative with some of those things and and this goes back to self-talk and the cognitive part of cognitive behavioral therapy and, you know, all those automatic thoughts and assumptions that we make. We can be mad over an assumption. It's almost in a way like being mad about a dream you have. You're mad at your partner. Because you had a dream they did something, but you think they should know this or they should do this or well, that if he didn't ask offer to help me when he saw me doing this, that means he's selfish. He doesn't love me that much and he's not a very nice person. And then you take it and you just build it. Yes. Instead of like for the perfectionist, it might be. He did try to help and I told him he did it wrong Yeah, and I told him he needed to do that differently and I just told him I might as well do the laundry because you don't do it right and I just give up trying because you're so picky and it's never good enough.
0: And then the person who actually went out of their comfort zone to do something for you, what they hear back is criticism and judgment. Right. Instead of, I see you tried, this is great, thank you, you've helped me so much, I appreciate you. Yeah. Even if it is not 10 out of 10, mm-hmm. because guess what? No one cares about everything being 10 out of 10, except right. for you. Right. In in this case, me. Yeah. And it makes you want to so, give up. Like, yes, why even try? Yes. Like, for, for the rest 99% of mm-hmm. population, good enough is good enough. Right. Accept it. Yes. That that is a reality for the rest of the human
1: race out there. That's
0: right. So, and be
1: okay with that. Yeah. And and maybe trying to anticipate or find the value and the validity in another perspective. You're right. Um, one yeah. silly example, my parents always thought about this growing up and what it was, was my mom when the trash was two thirds full Mm -hmm. would want to just get it out and get it done. And my dad is more frugal and more practical Mm -hmm. and less anxious. And he would be like, Peggy, she's like, your dad never takes the trash out. (laughs) And, and my dad was like, Peggy, you're taking it out when it's only two thirds full. Mm -hmm. I will take it out when it gets full, Mm -hmm. but you're beating me to it. And Mm -hmm. so she had this ongoing narrative is he never takes it out. And he had this ongoing resentment is, and he was like, I'm sticking to my guns. I'm not gonna take yeah. it out until it's full. Yeah, and they also had a similar one about the dishwasher. She would run it when it was a third full. That really drove me crazy too.
0: That is so interesting. <laughs> I love it. Tell me more. Yeah, but there's a <laughs> value in both there, and
1: I think that's kind of like with you know whether it's the perfectionist and the um, enthusiast, the yeah. one in the seven, or anything. It's like she is just trying to stay on top of things and get it done yeah. and get closure. Maybe she was thinking it was gonna stink, you know? Yeah. And my dad was more like, you're wasting so much plastic, yeah. this is inefficient. Yeah.
0: And um, so seeing that your partner may have a valid point, And also recognizing, for example, if we're staying with a one, mm-hmm. under stress, um, the, the go-to motion for one is anger. But mm. the way one expresses anger is setting higher expectations and resentment. So, criticism so, or no? Just uh, a higher it, bar? A higher bar. Everything has to be done. So, when it is two-thirds on the line, mm-hmm. it has to be taken out. Mm-hmm. And if it's not, God help everybody. <laughs> but if my partner knows that this is how my stress and anger presents itself, mm-hmm. so maybe I'm not being a tighter stick in the mud. Maybe it's like, hey, babe, are you okay? Mm-hmm. instead of why are you always writing my butt about the two-thirds of a trash can <laughs> hey what's going on yeah is anything getting you down upset or are you stressed about something uh-huh. because it ain't about the trash can uh-huh. and right. it's, it's certainly about something else so then if uh-huh. a partner actually just says okay I know that in my spouse this is you know one plus one equals two and I'm seeing that one plus one is kind of a the two maybe it's a conversation maybe it's Ooh not about that that's yeah well and and i bet i think you're right they
1: so often they say that our little fights over silly things there's something deeper going on yes but that actually does bring up a really good example of if my mother and father i don't think they ever really dialogued about it and that was a perpetual issue and an unsolvable problem to a degree but i think that could have become solvable for them if they would have sat down and just said listen I value, you know, Peggy, I value that you are just trying to stay on top of this and keep it from stinking or whatever. And Jack, I value the fact that you are trying to not waste a bunch yeah. of stuff and be inefficient, but why not? How about we can agree that if it gets to 80%, yeah. Jack will take it out yeah. and Peggy can let go of that, yeah. you know? And then they could have just been like, oh, that, okay, yeah. that's good. He will do it. But yeah. she was feeling this narrative. He never yeah. takes the trash out. Yeah. And I think deep down she knew why, yeah. But yet she was acting as if he doesn't
0: want to do that chore, yes.
1: you know. And yes. so
0: that's a, a false narrative. Yes. And we all have, that. we all have them. Everybody, nobody's We nobody's a case. case. Yeah, nobody's excuse.
1: And that can honestly lead to divorce. I don't know what the Gottmans would call it, but when you start building a case. Um, in fact, the, I recently listened to this podcast called Pulling the Thread, and mm-hmm. the, the person that runs the podcast interviewed the Gottmans, and she said that, um, let's see, couples would um, bury complaints, hold them inside, and avoid talking about what was wrong in their relationships— and what needs weren't getting met. And then a lot of distance was created because they weren't bringing up their real needs to their partner. And this distance created loneliness, which made them start thinking about other people. And this was them researching couples who had affairs. And their latest book is on that. Yeah. Um, But when their conflicts were not dealt with in a helpful way, they were aversive, they would start avoiding it because the conflicts were experienced as being awful, terrible, and painful. So... um, You know, I think that once you start, you know, almost dwelling or ruminating on my partner doesn't do this. My partner is always like this.
0: And you don't dialogue about it. You yes. just get further and further apart. I think the key is to understand why. Mm-hmm. And I'll give you an example. For example, um, <clears throat> I do not it's just silly things. It's kind of like the garbage thing. So I'm a stickler about dinner time. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go into the reasons why. I just am. Dinner's a certain hour. And that's that. There's a lot of good in that for sure, though. And with my husband, he has a little bit of a time blindness. So Mm -hmm. it's not a priority for him. And, you know, if we can either fight about you always forget and why does it have to be always at the same time this time? We can just understand why, mm-hmm. why it doesn't really matter to you and why it matters to me so much and maybe meet in the middle. Yes. And now we're at a point where, are you making it for dinner or do I leave you a plate? Uh-huh. And either way is fine. Yeah, you
1: can be flexible a We bit. can be
0: flexible about it. So it's the same, the cup sheet. So understanding why. Mm-hmm. I think just eases that they're the way they are and I just don't understand why I agree this is just so annoying that's right I totally agree because there is a value
1: in that like you know I have several clients who have a a partner who's a peacemaker yeah and they might be more complacent or they're not an initiator right a lot right. of, um, I'll have you know, women in here going, my husband doesn't didn't plan anything for my birthday or anything for anniversary, or they never plan trips, and yeah. and I'm like, that is hard. Yes. But what is your husband good at? Yes. And let's look at why, because some of this time it is um, ADHD yes. and executive functioning issues. Yes. And um and but they build this narrative of like. Oh, like, I can't believe I married someone that doesn't ever initiate. And it's like, you were probably drawn to that because you do like planning
0: and maybe you wanted someone in control and being in charge and kind of, you know, being the leader that, that the other person follows. Right. You picked the opposite and now you're building a
1: case against them
0: and over
1: dwelling on the negatives and not giving them credit for the positives. Yes.
0: And I'll tell you, you know, and now you're so many years later and you were thinking, well, but it does matter. I do want them to be more assertive. I do want them to uh, initiate more. Then you have a conversation about it and you meet in the middle. Mm-hmm. So maybe you're still going to have to do 80% of initiating. Mm-hmm. But if your partner understands that this is so important to you, maybe they can pick up the 20. Yes. And then that is the good enough solution. Mm-hmm. Then Then nobody is at a deficit yes. or in this perpetual stressful situation.
1: Yeah. Well, let's throw out some advice on yeah. how would you advise, um, like if, if a husband or a wife yeah. was trying to say, I need to talk to my spouse about, let's say never planning anything, Sure. just not planning ahead on anniversaries or birthdays or anything, how could you talk about this with them without shutting them down? and, and, and helping them listen where their channels are open. Sure.
0: Sure. I would say first and foremost, understanding why. So is it forgetfulness? Is it the fact that's not a priority for them? Is it because they're not an assertive sort of go-getter individual and then meeting them where they are at. So Mm -hmm. if it, if it, you know, a person who is sort of likes the status quo never asserts themselves that like type nine kind of more in the background it is not because they don't want to go with you it is not because they don't want to spend time with you it is not because they want to upset you it is just who they are Mm -hmm. so maybe you will have to just gently nudge them or involve them in a non-threatening way. And it's also an individual that values peace as a number one priority in their life mm-hmm. so if you're upset about it and you come into a conflict you know what shuts them down more faster than anything conflict yes so not only are they not going to change their stripes and be that assertive go-getter individual when you are rolling into them you never and I don't understand and this is what I need And then they shut down because conflict is their biggest fear in their existence. Yes. But if you knew all of that, maybe your approach is different and maybe there's a compromise there. That's right. So that's what I would say. For example, if it is a person who, um, like for, for example, my husband and I, every couple has problems, Mm -hmm. every couple fights, but my husband's type, by their biggest fear is emotional pain, Mm, period. Yes. And guess what translates into emotional pain? Conflict, fighting. So you know what they do? They avoid it. They run Mm -hmm. away from it. And then if I did not know that that is their, that is who they are, I would say, well, he just doesn't care. He shuts me down. He stonewalls me. He never wants to resolve anything. He never wants to talk about anything. (laughs) And... And this is just how we're going to make it work. Right. Wow. So how about then I pick and choose. Maybe we don't have a fight that lasts, you know, uh, active combat like for a week (laughs) at a time. Maybe. Also, how about this radical idea? I say, hey, we have to have a difficult conversation. I know you hate every minute of it, but we have to talk about it. How about you tell me, when are you ready? Do you think you'll be ready? Tomorrow, 72 hours or whatever. And then my husband, who wants to avoid the pain, emotional, by any means necessary, Mm -hmm. but intellectually understands this is just not the world, can prepare himself and Mm -hmm. say, you know what? How about tomorrow we sit down and we hash it out? Yes. Wow. Yeah, and here we are. So again, understanding what motivates us, understanding what our fears are, mm-hmm. understanding what makes us feel safe. And it's not just safety. It is when things are done right. I feel safe Mm -hmm. when, when an individual, certain individual, they feel safe. If there's absence of conflict, yeah, a person feels safe when there is absence of emotional pain, a person can feel safe when they can self-express themselves in any way that, and they feel safe. And for somebody else, it's like silly, really Yeah, getting things done just so makes you feel safe. Yes, they does. Mm -hmm. Yes, it does. Yeah, you know, one of the most
1: beautiful parts of life, and and how the Enneagram applies to this, is the the challenge, but the gift of needing to step outside of ourselves yeah. and put ourselves in someone else's shoe yeah. shoes and imagine a reality different from our own. Yes, and I think that again we can be so egocentric that way. Like, you know, someone could say, "Oh, this person's a peacemaker. What a wimp!" Like. You just gotta grow a pair and like face issues. Yes. And you know, it can feel that way. But then when you look at it from a positive angle, this person is so kind, so tender,
0: so loving. Yes. They don't want to hurt people's feelings. And also, if we're to reverse that, and you can have somebody who would say they are so aggressive, they just want to have a conflict. Yes. They are so like a bulldozer just plowing, they just want to pick a fight. Or they most value being direct yes. and resolving a conflict. And guess what? They feel comfortable in conflict. Mm-hmm. They could get energized by conflict, mm-hmm. and somebody else would just be like, "My head is on fire." Yes. So, and not just regarding that direct person who is very comfortable going into the most uncomfortable conversation, they do have a soft side mm-hmm. if you take the armor off and you see past it. That's right. And there's a real courage that comes with
1: challengers yes. and people that, you know, not that they love conflict and enjoy criticizing yeah. or enjoy but they know that it's necessary and it's helpful and it's brave and it's really kind. That's one thing I've been trying to reprogram myself because I am all the types that want to avoid conflict and my family was like that too. And, And it's really not loving to invest for people to not tell them the truth. Sure. And so, you know, when I see judges on, you know, America's Got Talent or The Voice, (laughs) and I'm like, I cringe sometimes, but I'm like, you have to, it's not loving to lead someone on and say, oh, you're amazing. You're so talented. And they waste years when they're tone deaf or something. Or they're off pitch. Yeah. So I do think that there can be, I admit sometimes that I think it's a, a bit weaker type of love, but I probably sure. shouldn't say that, but it's not as brave to hold in the truth. Yes. But to speak it in a loving way.
0: Yes. And Enneagram teaches you how to tap into the area that makes you cringe or makes you uncomfortable, or makes you feel unsafe. -hmm. Because again, we encompass all the nine numbers, even an individual who wants to avoid conflict by any means necessary can learn how to be a peaceful warrior but still a warrior yeah. keep the peace but be a warrior right. so we can tap in and the person who is so in your face and just wants to pick a pipe also can tap into not being a grizzly bear but a teddy bear uh-huh. and and come and, and show up as that as well yeah and that's the enneagram teaching us how to tap in where we, I could never. Yes, you could. Yes, yes you could. Yes, you have you yes, that you part could. in you and sure. you can strengthen it. Sure, and you know, the same just comes to mind. There's people, oftentimes I see in, in a couple, very extroverted and very introverted. Mm-hmm. And I know we've had that conversation yeah. um, together and there's types in Enneagram, and I just want to point it out, who are not hermits who are not so introverted who do not have hate uh, human interaction who feel depleted emotionally and physically and mentally by too much social interaction yes and then there's types of neogram that have their cup filled by it mm-hmm. but if you don't know that how fast are we to cast judgment? Oh, they just such like never so unfriendly and doesn't like anybody and mm-hmm. just want to be by themselves. No, mm-hmm. they actually can and is good for them in doses that they can function in. Oh, yeah. And the same with, you know, person, oh, he just wants to be out there with friends, having fun and always around couples and just never really, you know, spending time with just me because of that's how they. Feel most alive, and how you know they they, they feel their bad, yes, yeah, yes,
1: it's so funny, and I don't know i'm I'm putting you on the spot here, but just yeah. yesterday that example is perfect. I have a a um client who's in their early thirties who's yeah. been married just a couple of years mm-hmm. and he is just so sweet and, but his wife is very much an extrovert Mm -hmm. and he is very much an introvert. He loves to read at family Mm -hmm. reunions. He wants to go read in the other room and his wife wants him to be in there with everybody. And he is just exhausted. And he even loves the family. He loves them. Of course. But he, you know, comes home from work and she wants him to talk about his day and ask about his day. And it's literally like, pulling teeth. And I have a kid like this too. Mm -hmm. And, um, so it's like he, and it's hard for me to fathom that world. I have to say, like someone that doesn't want to ask about their day or ask about your day or talk about their day at all. It's hard for me to imagine that world, even though I do come home from work sometimes and I I am tired, but, um, it's, it makes me sad for them because they love each other and they're very happy, but, That is definitely a perpetual problem for them. Sure,
0: sure. What would be your... I would say just meeting in the middle. So maybe the individual does not want to talk about their day immediately Mm -hmm. after they have been Mm -hmm. exerting themselves by human social interaction all day long. How about you give them... Couple hours yeah. to recharge, yeah. to go in their study, and do some research, and look at some <laughs> YouTube videos about whatever scientific, cool NASA things are doing, um, or you know, read their book, or just be in quiet, or just just be by themselves, uh-huh. and perhaps then, yeah. not when you are ready, when they are ready. They can do what you want them to do. Right. Yeah. Let them because, recharge their battery. Absolutely. And, you know, if it's a family interaction, understanding it's kind of like okay, Beth, you're a marathon runner. Mm-hmm. And, and your whole family is a marathon runner, mm-hmm. let's say, and I cannot run to that mailbox right there. Mm-hmm. Yet you are upset with me when you and your family puts on your sneakers and say, we're gonna run our, our 20 miles. Mm-hmm. And you're upset with me when I'm like, listen, quarter of a mile and I am tapping out, I'm done. <laughs> This sounds silly, right? Yeah, yeah. Because I'm not a runner. Right. Would you be mad at me? No. So when you and I and our family function and mm-hmm. I have done my 30 minutes of conversation mm-hmm. and, inter- and hustle and bustle and you could do another seven to eight hours of it mm-hmm. easy, but you understand that I'm tapped out. Yeah. When I go away and I read my book in the next room, it's mm-hmm. not because I don't love you or your family. Yeah. It's because this is my capacity. Right. So then you're not brewing moody and broody because, oh, well, here he goes again. Yeah. No, you're actually like, wow, You can, I know how hard it is for you. Thank you, babe. Yes. For that hour when you were on, because I know it was an effort right
1: so that means the world and that's what
0: i would tell them i love this specific
1: couple that's such a great example of like what seems like 20 miles to you is not that huge of a deal if you run marathons yes but for if a quarter of a mile is hard for someone you have to realize it's it's just it really is kind of that black and white even though it doesn't look that black and white yeah wow that's a great way to look at it and you know i think we just need to remind ourselves we chose this person because they have traits we admire, and sometimes it's because we lack those traits. Right. I mean, Remo's brutal honesty and non-people-pleasing traits, yeah. I was like, wow, I respect that so much. He's so, so brave. Her. I need that in my life. But then that causes problems. Um, and I don't know if I've ever shared this in a podcast with you before. It's hilarious, though. Um I oh yeah, remind me to share this quote right here because I just heard this yesterday, and you're gonna love it. Okay. Um, I we were at a wedding, somebody's—I mean—a birthday party, a 40th mm-hmm. birthday party, maybe five or ten years ago, and my husband was standing there talking to this guy and saying he was from Scotland. And the guy goes, "Are people from Scottish just really kind of brutally honest and rough?" Mm-hmm. And and Remo goes, "Let me go get my wife to come over here and ask that again." <laughs> and so I came over, and he goes, "Are." you know, people from Scotland really rough. And, and I started laughing. And of course, Remo thought it was hilarious. And he goes, well, I traveled with some Scottish people and they're just Brutal, and again, mm-hmm. you can't stereotype a whole yeah. country. But in general, they are more honest. Yeah. Kind of like New Yorkers yeah. are more yeah. honest yeah. than yeah. Southerners. Yeah. And um, but and I again, I was so drawn to that. Yeah. But then that has probably been one of our issues is how yeah. like he just points out the negatives, and you know he's not. He thinks that complimenting is doing somersaults, and yeah. Yeah. Um, and then me being you know a yes person has driven him crazy yeah. but he loved that when we got yeah. together and so think we chose this person for a reason and we they do have a lot of amazing qualities but the extreme differences can be difficult if you can't meet in the middle a little bit
0: well and the work is to remember Mm -hmm. why this particular quality was so admirable Mm -hmm. because you're absolutely right it's you know what was so straightforward so honest so direct you know could become why is he so hurtful insensitive yes but maybe restructuring the way of you in and remembering that You used to look at it as honest and direct, that the intention is not to be hurtful, not to be insensitive. This is who he is, and it is. Admirable, yes. And you re- you still respect it. You still love yes. that. So just reminding yourself of that and the same for, for him, you know, it's not that Beth is a pushover and people just steamroll over her. Mm-hmm. She has the biggest heart mm-hmm. and I love that about her mm-hmm. because truly she radiates kindness and that is beautiful to me. Mm-hmm. Not that she's a pushover. Right. See? To see them in the best possible
1: light yes. instead of framing it in the yes. worst. Yes. And and that was another thing i thought of earlier is we need to take the good with the bad we like the way our partners Um, Quality serve us, yes. But we don't like so. If someone wants to be in charge and do things their way, they might marry someone that has a little bit less executive functioning, or they're Mm -hmm. more of an adventurer. Yeah. But then, but then there are ways it drives us crazy, and we harp on the bad. Yes. And we don't remember the good. Yes. And um, I have a woman I'm working with like that right now, and she knows she's probably too hard on her husband, Mm -hmm. but he's one of those people that isn't a big initiator. He doesn't plan things, Mm -hmm. but yet he's so kind and so agreeable and he's rarely critical of her and she loves all those traits but mm-hmm. she wants to have the planning and the mm-hmm. you know being on top of things and initiating things as well so we need to take the good with the bad yeah um the quote that yes, someone just that? told me last night uh-huh. it relates to your mind reading comment earlier so the quote is expectation without communication creates frustration yeah have you heard this? No. I think that she heard this on maybe TikTok or Instagram, but she oh literally, God. I heard this last night at six oh, o'clock.
0: I love it. I mean, at the end of the day, it is, you know, and this is your realm, your world. It's communication. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, none of us are mind readers. Some of us have a little more of an edge of that superpower <laughs> of intuitively knowing. But at the end of the day, we unless you tell me, uh-huh. I don't know. Right. And if you continue not to tell me, I will continue to behave as I don't know because I don't. Yeah. Being clear is kind. Be- Hello, Brene Brown. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Clarity is kindness.
1: Yes. Exactly. 100%. Well, this is so, so helpful. Um Do you, is there anything more you wanted to say about the Enneagram coaching that you do with couples? And of course you do this with individuals. Sure,
0: sure. So I have done, you know, the beauty of the Enneagram and you can research it and there's so many magnificence teachers and literature out there but it's applicable in every aspect of our lives so i have done it at a workplace Mm. uh with 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 people who work with each other they don't have any other relationship with each other other than the work relationship and understanding how everybody responds to certain things differently and how people respond to feedback Mm -hmm. or criticism. And uh, even to the point how a person can be more productive depending on the environment they're in and where they sit in the office and how much a human interaction they have. And, you know, that can make the team feel more congealed and more efficient and effective. Yeah. So I have done that before. Wow. I have done Enneagram approach with sports teams. Mm. Um, I, I, I was um, uh, privileged enough to work with the UTC female golf team. Ooh, neat. So we did the Enneagram workshop about that because... because... Because again, it's your teammate you kind of have to be on your own, but you are together, you're a team and how can you be supportive and how can you work best as a team when you travel, when you compete, when you know, like all of that is very helpful when you can apply Enneagram to that. And specifically to couples, I love that Mm -hmm. because it is just such a rewarding work and it can be an ongoing thing, but a lot of times it doesn't take long just to kind of bring the awareness and shift the perspective yes. and to have that aha moment oh, yeah. but I will tell you and I say you know I, I've mentioned when I meet with people I say this is not therapy because I'm not a therapist and I'm going to do most of the talking but what it does have similarity to therapy in is it is the work that you have to continue to do. Mm. So when I, for example, meet with somebody that you referred, and I would say just because you have gone to Beth and you have, she has provided you tools, mm-hmm. if you don't use them after you leave her office, it's money not well spent. It's mm. the time not well spent. Right. The same with Enneagram. Knowing is great. Now you have to apply it mm. and chances are you have to apply it, step outside of your comfort zone mm-hmm. and apply during the times when it's the hardest, when you're under stress, when your partner under stress, where you're not getting along, when there's a big conflict happening. Yeah. I love that you give them homework and That's, they you like it to, too. Most you, of them. you have to, and yeah. it can be incremental changes. You do not have to have, a lobotomy and be a completely different individual <laughs> mm-hmm. but you have got to be consistent mm. you have got to be intentional and you have got to have it in a long run because that is a marathon mm. you know yeah. sustaining your relationship whether it's friends family co-workers parents children whatever it's it's work and it's marathon yeah
1: and you know
0: This is one of the few
1: times I would use the word always and stick with it. I think that things like this, tools like this, growing in your understanding of yourself and others is always helpful and always better Yeah, it might be hard, but I think that it I I just really have a hard time seeing any way that it wouldn't be better to understand yourself and others better. And the Enneagram probably is my favorite tool at this point. Mine Um, too, Beth. Mine too. uh, Well, this has been amazing. Is there anything else you're itching to say before we wrap up?
0: I just want to thank you for the opportunity Um, if you know I tend I I teach yoga in Chattanooga I've taught yoga in Chattanooga for a long time and I always tell my my students I'm probably the loudest yoga teacher and sometimes I teach a class and I say guys I feel like I'm yelling I don't know why I'm yelling I'm so passionate. (laughs) so I feel like I've yelled a little bit on this podcast just know that (laughs) I'm Russian and I'm very passionate about it and this is just my way of expressing how passionate I am about it and just thank you for the the opportunity to oh, share I always love it. Diagram. One
1: of my friends that's new to yoga follows you wherever you teach because you teach her. several places. I love her. Yeah, I love her. She's like, I, I just tend to go to one yoga studio and I would follow you if the schedule was better, but she she just like I'll go wherever Kat's teaching. That is so kind. <laughs> I love that. Well, thanks again. This was fun. Thank
0: you Bye.